is Dr. Robin Axelrod. On my drive to work one morning, I thought, how could I promote unity between OT and OTA students? How could I foster communication and leadership skills and promote our amazing profession? Welcome to my OT Journey podcast. Have you seen the 2021 My OT Journey Planner? This is Dr. Robin Axelrod. This planner is a must for OT students and practitioners. Check it out at myotjourney.com. Welcome to my OT Journey podcast. Today we're joined by Dr. Bill Wong. Dr. Bill Wong is an occupational therapist. He's worked in skilled nursing facility and he's currently an adjunct professor at Stanbridge University in California. He's also a representative from California in the Representative Assembly at AOTA. Welcome. How are you today? Good. Thank you. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, you have a really, um, you know, a lot of experiences in the field, and I'd love you to share with our students about, you know, your experiences, how you decided to be an OT, and how you decided that, you know, that would be your career path. Good question. So my career path, actually, I was not one of those people like, oh, I want to be an OT growing up. I was more the type that is, I was a nerdy guy, and mm-hmm. I remember math was my strongest suit until I started undergrad. Yeah, so my major in undergrad was actually in statistics from University of California, Riverside which is us Californians because UC Riverside. And uh, during that time, as I was studying for my upper division classes, I was not having a really good time. I mean, like, because, like, growing up, I was used to doing arithmetic, and that's my forte. But when I progressed to college-level math, I realized there's a lot of abstract math, and it wasn't my strong suit. So I was like, you know what, let's just suck it up and finish the degree, and then see how things go from there. I ended up being unemployed for a year and a half before my parents introduced what OT is to me. And at that time, neither of my parents knew what OT was. However, like, my mom was working in a school system as a school administrator, so to speak, like those, those kind of people that check, like, volunteers or school staff into the office when they come. So she actually got a chance to talk to a school-based OT, and then, like, whatever she, questions she had about what OT is, she would ask that school-based OT, and then my mom would then relayed what she found out to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember that was in about middle of 2008. Mm-hmm. And so we, during that time, because like I was unemployed, like any Asian parents, very concerned. So therefore it was like, okay, she had to talk to me about my future. And so we actually tried several different routes. The first route we tried was business school because uh, actually I had the least amount of prereqs to make up to a business school. But then I took the GMAT, which is like the standardized test for business school, and I did not get a very good score per se to get into a good business school. So that plan was out the window. And then at that time, we also know some preacher's kids per se, and 
we try to find out the landscape of working in the church. But then uh, we, at that time, we felt that is not a very good return on our investment. So I was like, okay, that plan is out the window. And then we considered OT. Mm-hmm. So we looked at like the job market, how it is like, and then what kind of courses I would make up. And I guess at that time I was very fortunate because mm-hmm. I lived relatively close to USC, about like 20 minutes or so right to the health science campus. So that was the only school I applied. And actually it's like I found out what OT was when I went to its orientation session. And that orientation story, that was another story because I went to the orientation and I missed half of it because like my parents and I, we did not know where the health science campus was. So I missed the part where I heard like, oh, OT, arts and crafts movement. I think we joke later that had I heard about the arts and crafts movement of OT first, I would have bored out. And the part that I heard was about like, oh, we need more researchers in OT. And at that time, it's like, oh, uh, I have a stats background. I probably will be interested to do research. Maybe that's a good time to go into OT. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. So I made up my prereqs within a year, and I got into USC in summer 2009. Wow, that's that's some interesting, you know, path towards OT. It's not the typical, definitely not the typical. And um, you, right now you're working in a skilled nursing facility. What's that like? What's your schedule like on a daily basis? Uh, so it's about eight hours per day, per se, for the most part. Of course, I have some flexibility. Let's say I need to go do a guest lecture in the middle of the day so I can ask for a shorter day, per se, instead of eight hours. I just have to make it up every now and then, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so therefore we have some flexibility to work on weekends in case I'm short on hours per se. Is it very fast-paced, or how many patients do you see a day generally? Mm, depends on the day. Sometimes I can see anywhere from five patients to about 10 to 12 patients a day. So yeah. it really depends on, yeah, how many minutes they have for the most part. Mm-hmm. And do you do the evaluations, or does the site have someone specifically oh, do yeah. evaluations? Oh, yeah. I'm the only, only OTR in my primary building, so mm-hmm. therefore I'll be the only one who, do, who does the evaluations. Ah, and yeah. so, but of course, aside from evaluations, I also got to do treatments, and I also got to do uh, the progress report, discharge summary, something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, and is that your primary practice area that you want to focus on, skilled nursing? Uh, actually, that's right now, I hate to say it in a blunt term, but for me, it's like, I use the setting to sort of pay the bills for my OT passions, actually. So one of them, of course, is like teaching, like whether it's actually in the classroom, teaching a real class, or a guest lecture, or I travel around the globe to do OT conferences. Oh, wow. Okay, that's, that's amazing. And how did you decide that you wanted to go be an adjunct professor and, you know, start working in academia? Okay, so this one, uh, I actually took level one students from Stanbridge. At that time, I only took OTA students from its Orange County campus. 
And then, of course, I also took some uh, MSOT students from West Coast University, which is another university in Los Angeles area from California. Yeah, so definitely I, I told myself, it's like, you know what? If I do have a real class, I need to be, I might need to be comfortable in something that I might, it might not be my bread and butter, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what? I want to see my abilities to be a clinical instructor and see how well I explain what I know to students. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of how I got started. Uh, and of and course, you... with guest lecturing, yeah, with guest lecturing, I had been guest lecturing since I started my OTD program in 2012. Primarily, primarily I would do a few topics. It could either be autism, or it could be in leadership, or it could be on professional development, or it could be on social media, that kind of stuff. So I have some, definitely some experience in classroom. So I think is that once I felt that, it's like, hey, you know what? I can teach something that I am not as comfortable teaching. Perhaps it is the time that I should go for an academia position. Mm -hmm. Okay. And obviously you got good feedback from that, from doing that, correct? Yeah, so, yes, correct. I think it's like building the confidence. And of course, I also utilize the opportunity to do some homework on the institution that I'm teaching to. So similar job skills, like, you know what, you got to know about your employer, right? So for me, it's like, I sort of use my students to sort of, in a sense, it's like when we have downtime to figure out what their curriculum is like, you know? So I sort of use that so that I can have a sense going in when I did have the actual interviews. Uh-huh. Okay. And um, I know you shared with me before that, you know, your career path and your schooling was not always such smooth sailing. You've had your ups and your downs, and you've had some difficult times um, in your fieldwork experience. Could you share with us some, you know, difficult times or failures that you've had along the way and, and what you learned from those experiences? Sure, I can mention a few. I think I will go with uh, my first year or two when I'm really out there as a clinician. So the preface of this was that for my ODD, I chose to do a research and pedagogy track. So I, I was one of those minority that did not do an advanced practice track. Mm -hmm. So therefore, when I finished my ODD, Essentially, my clinical experience is essentially like a new grad, uh -huh. per se. And yeah. my first job was in pediatric. The, the logic at that time was that, oh, it's close to home. And actually, I met my supervisor at, a, at an OT conference before in California. So and it's not so far from home. So I thought, it's like, hey, that's a good fit on paper, you know? But the transition should not be too bad, per se. But then when I did that job, I realized that it exposed the weaknesses that I did not really see when I was doing the, my school-based level two viewer placement. Because yeah. like, I guess because in the school-based level two, I was like, oh, it's three months, you know, I can exhaust all the ideas I have, you know, and then at that there are times it's like, oh, you have a difficulty, then it's like, you know, my CI would help me a little bit here and there, you know, and then versus like going out there in my, on my own, that was 
I would say that was definitely a struggle, I guess, per se. And then uh, also, it was also a struggle because uh, so we did a combination of clinic-based and school-based practices. So I did not know that when I was working in pediatrics, especially for the clinic slash home-based portion, then I had to making sure that the kids would come to therapy, you know, or the fact that it's like, oh, if I'm sick, then I got to make up another day at a time, you know. So there are the nuances that I did not see when I was in pediatric field work. Uh-huh. And I got so stressed out. I remember I definitely had some anxiety attacks to a point that I couldn't stand anymore. So typically with a job, I know I'm supposed to give at least a two-week or 30-day notice. But when I was experiencing the anxiety attack that was so bad, I literally just walked out the day off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Those, you know, things and happen then, you know, that you don't account for. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, so, and then I think I spent almost a year to figure out, like, what my next move is. So, mm-hmm. actually, I failed in terms of doing private practice. Because at that time, I was like, you know what, I still like the autistic population, but I think that maybe I can benefit from somebody who is more high-functioning or maybe for some transition age stuff. So, but then it's like, oh, it really requires a lot of organizational skills, and I don't really have that, you know? Or the executive function skills, I was very poor at that. So after a year, I really failed at this. So I was like, you know what? I got to find something to work as an OT. So then I remember I posted on Facebook. I was like, okay, pediatric was not working out. What setting do you guys think I should get involved in? And then, like, some of my friends said, oh, the skill nursing, you know? Uh, it's like, it's, I mean, it's not you're not familiar with the setting at the time but at the same time it's like you know what just take a shot you may like it uh-huh. and you did yeah well i won't say so i think for me it's like i just learned from it was like you know what uh so you talk about what i learned from it right, right. so what i learned was that i should take more be more in charge of my learning in terms of learning a setting and then adjusting from one set from being a student to a practitioner. So I think it's like my first job, I took on a little too much too fast. Mm -hmm. So on my skill nursing facility job, one adjustment I made was like I started as a per diem and I remember I started working from 20 hours a week to a year and a half later, I ended up working full-time. So I pretty much was in charge of my learning in terms of, like, how the setting is. So I think for me, another thing that really benefited me when I was a per diem was I, go to, I went to different students and facilities, so I got to see a, a, variety, a, a variety of different conditions. Uh-huh. And I think... Having that experience really helped me to prepare to be the primary therapist when I am full time. Uh-huh. Yes, that's a that's a good learning experience. Um, 
Um, what about some stories of success or things that you're proud of that you've done in your career so far? Let's see. Uh, yeah, see, I would say that's probably my known accomplishment in OT. I guess that's my trademark accomplishment is that I got to be a speaker for a TEDx event twice, which oh, wow. is more than anybody else in OT. Uh-huh. And what did you speak yeah. on? What were the topics that you spoke about? So my first one was at TEDx Grand Forks in 2015. It was about like how autistic individuals overcoming their problems. Oh. So that was probably is a summary of it. And then my second one was on aging in place and my reflections working in skilled nursing facilities, so to speak. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's definitely very cool to see you on TED Talks. And wh- how did you feel? I mean, uh, you know, wh- what's the process like? You apply, um, you give them, you know, your idea for the talk, and then they decide if they want you, or how does that work? Okay, so uh, the two experiences are actually different. Mm-hmm. So for my first one, uh, so there was a former OT student who was actually on the planning team, Mm-hmm. And she discussed the idea of me being on TEDx with me on Facebook. And I remember we chatted an hour and a half on what I would be in for. Mm-hmm. And so after I gave her permission, it's like, hey, uh, you can nominate me. It's fine by me. Then uh, I had an interview three, two or three weeks later from the whole team. And that evening, I found out that I got in. Oh, wow. So that was my first one. Uh-huh. And then my second one, actually, it was like, it was very random, actually. So it was late 2016. I was attending my first TEDx event in Los Angeles. It was a very big one in Hollywood area. It was actually close to the Ripley's Believe It or Not in Hollywood. So that one, it was like 3,000 people because I know like there's, there will be so many people. So actually, I chose to go to the event by public transportation. Mm-hmm. And then on my way back, I ran into the curator of my second TEDx talk. And then I did my elevator speech when we were on the subway together. So, <laughs> That's yeah. interesting. Very interesting. Uh, and how was the experience at TED Talks? Was it intimidating? And what, what were your feelings when you got up on stage? Good question. So uh, I think the first time I was very nervous because, uh, you know, it was like I was really this like it's under the gun. And mm-hmm. I really felt was nervous that, oh, I would look like an idiot on stage, you know. So the first time, I was pretty nervous for that reason. And of course, uh, for that one, because it was live streamed, so that also means like, oh, I definitely cannot make a mistake there for sure, you know? Right, right, right. That's a lot of stress. Yes. And then my second one, I was stressed for a different reason. Mm -hmm. Because I was thinking like, you know, uh, there are definitely many, many legends in our field who didn't even have a shot yet, you know, on right. this platform. And then there's me, who is making history. 
So therefore, I was like, I felt pressure from a sentimental standpoint uh-huh. because I was like, yeah, I was like, out of the tens of thousands, I mean, hundreds of thousands of LTs across the globe, I was the one who made the history on the TEDx stage. So definitely I felt pressure on that sense. And then another reason for the pressure was that actually the topic about like aging in place and like for the geriatric population, that kind of topic is actually not my cup of tea. Uh-huh. So therefore, it really it was a really big challenge for me to get on stage to talk about that topic because I sometimes I think it's like as I was preparing for the talk, I sometimes have this doubt in my head as like, Bill, why are you talk about this? It's like this is not what you know for no take, you know? Why are you doing this? You know? Mm-hmm. But ironically. This experience actually was also a stepping stone for me to be an adjunct faculty later on. Uh-huh. How so? Well, because like the first course I'm teaching, I was I taught last year was on uh, basically the skills lab for OT assistant students, and we teach them like basic skills like transfers, ADLs. And then also pretty much many things related to, like, physical disabilities and stuff like that. You know, like uh-huh. activity analysis, those kind of stuff. So those kind of topics are actually not my cup of tea, per se, relatively speaking. But then I sort of, now I had that experience in my head when I was in the classroom. So... Any time that I really was like, you know what, I'm, it's like, hey, I don't feel like it. I always try to play the image from that experience on my head because I'm like, you know what, I had done something tougher than this when I was under the gun. This is not under the gun. You can do this, you know? Uh-huh. Okay, and um, can you tell us, like, what would be some tips that you would give students entering the field? Hmm, let's see. One of the things I'm known for is being a social media guru. Okay. I say that because, like, I know, like, I have a reputation when I go to international conferences. The running joke was that, oh, uh, you know, AOTA does not really have to bring anybody over. If you come, you literally represent them because, like, hey, you know, you're not just an OT. You also bring the fact that you are also the social media team, so therefore you don't have to. They don't have to bring the media team over because literally you are them also. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like the social media. I would say social media. It is going to be. It has been a catalyst for my career in terms of my career successes, mm-hmm. and I think that if it is used properly, then definitely it can be too for. OT students are out there for sure. Uh-huh. And for me, it's like, I would say it's like, I'm pretty savvy with networking. So like, for example, like some tips would be, let's say uh, the students, they're going to AOTA conference for the first time. Then it's like, hey, you, maybe they say it's like, oh, I don't know anybody from conference. Then mm-hmm. I can say it's like, you know, uh, you can always look under the hashtag for the conference on Twitter 
and you probably get to see many people who are passionate about OT sharing their experiences at the conference, you know? Right, right. If you follow them on Twitter, per se, then it's like, hey, you know, then you can make some friends, and who knows, maybe it could be a very life-changing experience in terms of making the connection. Mm-hmm. So one example from that was that I attended the World Federation Conference in 2014, oh, wow. and I actually met an Australian OT researcher, per se. So uh, we have been knowing each other for five years. And, of course, I attended a couple conferences in her home country since we met up. Uh And recently we talked about, like, oh, Bill, uh, we would like your expertise. We want you to be part of our scoping review. Uh Wow. Yeah, so, like, just something like that, you know? Yeah, really it was good. all because making of, connections. Yeah, so definitely making connections is very, very important. Yeah, ironically, it's like uh, when I go to West Coast University to deliver their guest lecture next month. Actually, I'm going to talk about like the importance of networking and finding a mentor. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's super important. Do you have a mentor? Actually, I have a mentoring team. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I actually copied it from baseball because Uh I've heard some successful teams, they have, like, there's a primary pitching coach and then there's an assistant pitching coach. And then there's a primary hitting coach and then there's an assistant hitting coach. So I structure my mentorship experience that way. It's like, you know what, I want to have three people who are competent and have knowledge about the kind of goals I might be interested interested in pursuing, for example. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow, that's really interesting. It's really interesting. And do you, are you someone that writes goals? Do you journal or write your own goals? Ironically, you know, I don't. However, mm-hmm. as like because I'm a very messy guy. Mm-hmm. However, is like I am one. I would say one strength of me is that I am a very self-directed individual mm-hmm. so therefore for me it's more like okay I have decent ideas in my head I wanted to do it and then but then it's like let's say I need some clarity about what I might be going in for that's mm-hmm. the time I call my mentors or just send them a message on Facebook or Twitter and say hey uh, you know I have these ideas about what I want to do for this year and what do you think about it uh uh-huh. Wow. Okay. So you're like not yeah. so you're not writing it down, but you have it in your head. You're 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 constantly goal oriented and um, you know thinking about how you could progress. Oh yeah. Oh, and sometimes even like for me, I guess because of who I am. So I'm actually very lucky to have some private time to discuss what I guess is like to reflect with when I have a presence of somebody who is very notable in our profession. Like, for example, I will bring back to the 2018 World Federation Conference. So actually, I definitely had the opportunity to sit with the current WFOT president, Marilyn Pedersen, and we actually had a chat for half an hour to 
sort of reflect about leadership and that kind of stuff. So I utilize those times to not only reflect upon my journey, but also like times to kick on the brains a little bit. Oh, interesting. And you envision yourself as going into full-time academia, or you like your current setup? Correct. Yeah, correct. You do. Okay, that's great. Um, anything else that you want to share for students? I mean, you you had such good insights, and you have really great experiences. Hmm, good question. So I guess it's like, so back to the social media topic, I would say is like, uh, yeah, I think I see that sometimes with my when I connect with students on social media, sometimes uh, people have little quick triggers in terms of like, that says like, oh, uh, I don't like you. Or mm-hmm. like, hey, uh, you know, I don't agree with what you're saying. And then they press the block button, for example, uh-huh. on social media. So like sometimes it's like, you know, I would say that my advice to students is be open-minded about who you're connecting with mm-hmm. and don't burn bridges early. Right, our profession career. is so small. <laughs> yeah, don't burn bridges. I think that is one of them. And then secondly is like, you know, it's like you're, yeah, I think I always shared on that lecture too, is that it, you need to start leveraging today, not tomorrow, not next right. term, not mm-hmm. when you graduate, right. you know, right. because I guess I the reason I bring that up was because of course, you were on Communal Tea. That's how you found me, right? Right. So right. you noticed some posts on like, oh, some new grads, so they want some mentorship and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. It's like, you know, the, one of the hallmarks of OT is about prevention. It's like, why don't you become your own OT to prevent some future problems later on in your professional development, you know? Right. Definitely. Definitely. For sure. And networking is so important. Um, I thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. You've been so helpful, and you know, I think it's really amazing that you were able to be on TED Talks twice, which is, uh, you know, definitely a feat for our profession. And hopefully, you know, um, you'll continue to grow and, you know, growing your own personal development and promoting our profession and all the work that you do. And I wish you a lot of luck. And I thank you again for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thank you to the student contributors. If you liked it, please subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. You can also follow us on social media, on Facebook at MyOTJourney, and on Instagram at MyOTJourneyPodcast. Thanks for listening. Go OT!